Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, November 24th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. The book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of a primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness and you'll get access to a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. From that page, you can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link. Download it, print it out, copy it as often as you like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also call in if you have comments, questions, answers, or testimonials at 563-999-3581. And if you prefer not to call in or if you're listening on the archives, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjhmindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or question from you, we will address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, send you a notification about whatever day and time it was that that happened. So you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input. 
And we appreciate it whenever anybody does that because it just makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service. And if you would let us know how we can be of greater service to you, we would appreciate it. This is um, Friday after Thanksgiving. And yesterday when I was running the show, I was experiencing some technical difficulties. So I want to share once again, without the technical difficulties getting in the way, the article by Erica Vega titled Joy in Disguise. Erica is a very talented young woman who's been attending the Mindshaker support groups for seven or eight years now. And she offered this a couple weeks ago as an article she had written, which was getting published. The title is Joy in Disguise by Erica Vega. She quotes the Bible, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And Erica writes, The day before I found out my daughter Dakota died, my boyfriend Derek lost his job. Even though Derek made most of our money, I didn't stress about it because I was happily pregnant and Derek always figured things out. At the ultrasound the following day, we heard the horrendous four words, there is no heartbeat. Those four words of fact propelled us into another dimension. What? How had this happened? How could my baby die? I labored 35 and a half hours and had Dakota on February 4th, 2022. The doctor seemed surprised every time I declined pain meds or alternative methods to quicken my labor. Why hurry it? What was I hurrying to? My daughter's funeral? A crying baby is the reward of labor for many. But no such reward awaited me. The reward would have to be the labor itself. I get to give birth, I told myself. I get to do this. I was training my mind. During labor, I stayed as physically and emotionally anchored to the experience as possible. I n-joyed it. Joy. Yes, that's right. I was in a state of joy, lowercase j, not happiness, not excitement, not contentment. Joy is a thing of the soul. I knew instinctively that submitting to the great mystery that governs all things and feeling into the raw emotion of my loss, that this would bring me the incredible depth and richness of life. And it is from that mindset that I labored into my grief. I would feel it all. I cried day and night the first months. Such intensity of pain, rage, envy, bitterness, hatred, loathing, shame, despair. I wanted to be dead so I could be with Dakota, 
but I didn't want to die. So what emotion is that? I was like a wild, rushing river. Weeks passed before I could look at Derek, really look at him in his pain, and even more time passed before he confessed that he waited until I fell asleep to bring his grief into the altar of our living room and sob deep into the night alone. During the day, he buried himself in electronics, frantically looking for work. When Dakota's due date came and went, a switch flipped. My concern was no longer on my loss, but on survival. We had almost no money. I pulled myself out of bed and went to work. I finally landed a job in October of 2022. Weeks later, my mom was diagnosed with stage four bile duct cancer. A jolt into another dimension again. But this time it was different. I decided to welcome the jolt. I stepped into my role as caregiver, daughter and power of attorney, and I stepped into it with a heightened sense of appreciation. I get to do this. I get to take care of my mom. Instead of feeding Dakota, I fed my mom her last meal. Instead of waking in the middle of the night to tend to Dakota's needs, I woke to administer my mom's pain meds. Instead of listening to Dakota's first cry, I listened to my mom's death rattle until her final breath. Months after Dakota's birth, the labor room, excuse me, moments after Dakota's birth, the labor room filled with an invisible presence. This spiritual presence, like my grief, was almost uncontainable. It pushed against the walls, pressuring them to expand. I could hear silence. Nothing moved, yet everything grew. That same presence was there for my mom's death. The entire home expanding with a hovering chill and twice I caught glimpses out of the corner of my eyes of my grandmothers who passed years ago. The ancestors had come to journey my mom home. What for them was a celebration, for me was a sorrow. Just like when Dakota made her descent earthside. The ancestors came and carried me so I could carry my living family. I was the breadwinner, a bereaved mom a dutiful daughter. Derek was still searching for a way to untangle the wiring that crossed when he lost his job and then immediately lost his daughter. It took him 17 months to untangle it enough to get consistent work again. It was hard. It still is hard. On days when I don't want to get out of bed or struggle to brush my teeth or hate everyone, I have to remind myself, I get to. I get to have this day. I get to brush my teeth. I get to hate everyone. Dakota's heart may have stopped beating, but mine has not. I get to live. I get to feel and experience and think. I get to ride the pendulum of life from grief to gratitude. 
the swinging of the pendulum, that's it. That, right there. Count the swinging of the pendulum. Count it all joy. Erica Vega, 2023. Thanks for bearing with me as I read that again, trying to get a better, better uninterrupted version of it recorded for the archives. The idea that I mentioned again yesterday is that the way to get to joy is to understand that it's not all glitzy and bright and bouncy, innocent pleasure. It is a deep connectedness to life, to the flow of life, a deep appreciation for my ability to be here, to be awake, to be aware, to have consciousness, to have experiences. As Michael Singer would talk about, to step back into the seat of the soul, the seat of observation, and watch these energies of life flow through my awareness, through my mind energy, through my heart center, and just experience it, take it all in the way I would watch a play or a football game where I didn't have any vested interest in who wins or loses. But I'm just appreciating the pageantry, the skill, the music, the art, life, every moment of life is presented to us in this way. If we take it from that perspective, we get to create what we make it mean and what we're invested in and whether or not we learn to appreciate it for what it is. Which is just the flow of creation, the flow of life, the flow of life energy, the flow of love. And as the way of mastery that we've been reading invites us to, it invites us to step into an empty-headedness, a not-knowingness, the position from which I can learn and be taught in each moment. I can expand and grow in my awareness, in my experience of life, in my wisdom, and especially if you use different definitions for wisdom. Guy Finley has a definition for wisdom that says, wisdom is the gradual erosion of any sense of being separate from your surroundings or anyone or anything. So wisdom, in Guy Finley's definition, is waking up from the dream of separation to see the connectedness of all things, to see your role in it. Krishnamurti offers another definition for wisdom when he says wisdom is direct observation with without judgment so in allowance in surrender in openness wisdom is direct observation without any judgment without any contraction without any negativity or evaluation. And we're invited into this 
as a way of learning, of growing, of expanding. Because Rilke calls us to learn to live in the question. Why would I want to live in a questioning state? Because I can't learn anything new if I go into a situation knowing what I know and when I learned it and how I know it and how I know it's right. Because if I walk into a situation with that in my mind, holding on to those beliefs, judgments, and dogmas, I'm going to leave that situation knowing what I knew. If I'm going to have any hope of learning something new, I have to be in observation, be in open, direct observation, as Krishnamurti would call us to. And I can start with these two observations. The first one is clearly I don't know everything that there is to know. There are fields of experience and wisdom and study, whether it's in the culinary arts or in the, you know, mechanics of putting together a, a, an electric car or internal combustion engine or whether it's having to do with physics. There's all kinds of things I don't know. So I can begin with the direct observation that I don't know everything. And then from that, there's the next observation, which is as plain as the nose on my face, is that since I don't know everything, whatever it is I think I know is either only partially true or perhaps even completely false. And if I go into each moment of life with that empty-headedness, not knowing this, with those two observations. And I'm willing to observe and experience and expand my awareness and experience in each moment. If I'm willing to be asking how to learn, how to be taught from life and love in the moment, now I have the option to grow and expand and my capacity to experience life. If I go into any situation convinced that I already know this, that, and the other thing, and I know it because I've had those experiences in the past and or I'm just focused on my five senses and I don't trust or believe anything that I can't see and measure with whatever devices my culture and my science has provided me already, I am like a dog or a cat walking through the Library of Congress. I cannot access the knowledge, the wisdom that's all around me. When I shut myself down to belief or dogma or simply from knowledge, personal knowledge gained from past experience because then I'm living from the past. And while it might be a very nice song from Jethro Tull, it is not a good way to live life and to grow and expand and to grow in love and to grow in experience. So we are stepping into the way of mastery with an invitation that is offered by the source of this inspiration, Yeshua. Before we even get into the work and the invitation is Put away everything you think you know. Just lay it down. Walk away from it for now. Step two, 
Put away everything you think you want. Cancel every goal you have. Put away everything you think you need. Step three, find a way to look lovingly upon every place that fear has made a home in your mind. In other words, on every experience you've ever had from yourself or someone else that you've judged negatively. And through that negative judgment, created a negative emotional state. Find a way to cancel everything you think you know. Step into that empty-headed not-knowingness. Put down everything you think you need or want. Cancel every goal. And find a way to look lovingly upon everything you've ever done in your life, every memory that comes up that you, you shudder in fear or shame or bitterness or hurt or resentment, and breathe and soften and find a way to turn the eyes of love toward that memory or experience. And that's the beginning of this pathway. And it, it, it tells us right at the beginning, if we choose to do that, the correction will come, the healing will come, the, the, the return to our a direct awareness of our oneness with all things will come. And then in the first two lessons, it talks about how we need to understand that we are creating our experience of life by how we choose to focus and our conscious awareness in each moment and how we choose to interpret and respond to the flow of life, both inside ourselves and the world around us. And the more we do that, the more we wake up to our own creative power. The essence of us as human beings, as sparks of awareness, as points of consciousness, is that we are creating. We are in charge of this little, little ray of mind energy, this little hose of mind energy. And we can point it towards joy and we can point it towards anger or fear or sadness. We can point it towards contentment. We can point it towards allowance and surrender. And whatever we point it towards, we will create more of for ourselves and in the flow, in the flow of life, in Indra's web, in the connectedness of all things, in the quantum soup, whatever you want to call it, in the quantum potential. We are creating. And that's the one thing we can't change. We can't turn off the flow of creation as it comes through our mind energy. And if we wake up to that in the first two lessons, in the first two axioms, then we wake up to a new way to experience our own lives. And then we get to lesson three. And lesson three begins with some of the most directly pointedly loving, embracing paragraphs in the entire book. And the first paragraph reads, if I search through the languages of your world, I cannot find the words that can convey the love that I feel for you. I cannot find the words that can convey unto you the love that God has for all of us. I cannot find a concept a word, an idea, 
a philosophy, or a dogma that can contain the mystery that is closer to you than your own breath and awaits your discovery. If I search throughout all of creation, if I search through the many mansions that exist within the domains of my Father's creation, and that creation is infinite, by the way, try as I might, I cannot discover anything that can truly describe you. I cannot find anything that is of greater value than you. In truth, I cannot discover anything that speaks more eloquently of the love that the Creator is than your very existence. Therefore, in truth, I look upon you constantly and I marvel at the radiance of the Creator's love. It is through you that I come to discover all that creation is. Now, the invitation here is to just sit and notice what gets resonated in you when you hear that. Well, there might be some people out there that are so wonderful and they are the extension of the Creator's love, but certainly not me. If you have that kind of reaction, the invitation in this work is to observe it and question it deeply and understand that in the moment when you have a reaction like that, you're in judgment. You've decided that you know. You're not in the empty-headedness. You're not in the not-knowingness that we've been invited into. In the moment when you're in judgment that way, when you've decided, well, you know, Yeshua might be talking about this wonderful person I know, and my grandmother, my grandfather was the most loving person, but boy, I've been a screw-up my whole life. If that's happening, you're in the space of judgment. And already in this work, it has told us judgment is the opposite of forgiveness. Judgment is the opposite of direct observation. Judgment will take you to the other side of the universe from where you say you want to be. So we invite you to step out of the judgment, to see that wherever you've been and whatever you've done has been your pathway. And you'll talk later in lesson three about your life, your very life is the, your pathway home. And nobody else can have that pathway. And you can't get home following anybody else's pathway. You can't get home through judgment or imitation. This brings to mind the story of Indra from Joseph Campbell's works. He's, Joseph Campbell was an anthropologist and a researcher and philosopher, and he, he would love to tell stories that he found in these various cultures across the ages that are all, they're like fables. They, they, they carry messages for us. And the story of Indra was the story of the king of the gods. And the king of the gods sat up 
in heaven in his throne, and he looked down on the world, and it's all good. It's all that's great, and he's up there as the king of the gods. And, and then one day, this demon starts running around on earth and creating fires and drawing, drawing up all the waters and creating havoc. And Indra's watching this and saying, well, this is a very bad thing, and, and I'm the king of the gods, and I should be doing something about this. And he started fretting and wringing his hands, and then all of a sudden he recognized there was a bucket of lightning bolts next to his throne chair. And he reached over and picked up a lightning bolt and threw it down, and, and he hit Hitra, this, this demon that was wreaking havoc on, on the earth, and the lightning bolt struck the demon and ended the chaos. And, and Indra said, wow, what a good boy am I. And he just got so full of himself. He said, look what I've done. This is magnificent. And the next thing you know, he went to the god of architecture up there in the heavens, and he said, you know what? We've got this palace, but it's not enough. I am so great. I just vanquished Vitra, and so I need a bigger palace. And, of course, the god of architecture says, okay, no, no problem. That's what I'm here for, and he starts working on it. But every time Indra would come back, he would say, you know, it's just, it needs more over here. It needs to be more expensive, and you know how great I am. And after a while, the god of the architects went to Brahman and said, hey, look, you got to help me out here. I'm eternal, and this guy's eternal, and he thinks he's the greatest thing ever. I'm going to be working on this one project of his palace for the rest of eternity. It's, it's too much. I got other things I should be doing. Brahman said, don't worry about it. You go back. I'll take care of it. So Brahman goes to into his energy and creates this little blue-black boy. And the next day, as Indra is sitting in his palace, this little blue-black boy comes walking up. And he is just so radiantly beautiful that all the children are following him around. And, and Indra notices the commotion and goes over and down from his throne. And he goes over and he says, well, what brings you here? And the little boy says, well, I've come to see this palace. I've heard that you think you are the most magnificent, you know, king of the gods that's ever been. And you're building this palace and I've just got to, got to see it for myself. And, you know, I'm looking around. It's, it's really impressive. And so, oh, thank you very much. And he says, uh, you, you know, this is, this is greater than, than any palace any Indra before you has ever had. And Indra gets pulled up short. And what do you mean Indra is before me? And the little blue-black boy says, well, Indra is before you. Yes, they've come and gone absolutely time and time again. He goes, wow, that guy, how could that be? Just as he's speaking, a trail of ants, a whole line of ants comes parading right by them. And the little boy chuckles. And Indra says, what are you laughing at? And Indra says, or the little boy says, well, don't ask unless you want to be hurt. And Indra is humbled with the, the, the vibration of his voice. And he says, I ask, teach. And the little boy says, you see these ants? Former Indras all. Each one of these ants went through the cycles of 
reincarnation and, and came up through life and, and made it to the king of the gods. And then they threw their lightning bolt and they thought they were the greatest and they went crashing down and started over again. Former Indra's all. And with that, the truth of it hit Indra. And he said, I am not going back to beginnings and ends. And so he gave up the palace. Now, it's a wonderful palace, and he's the king. And, of course, every king has a queen, and so there's a queen there. And he decides he's going out to live in a hut in the woods. Well, that didn't go over so well with the queen. And so she goes to Brahman, and she says, hey, look, Brahman, you got to help me. I'm, I'm, I'm not made for living in a hut in the woods. I'm, we have a nice palace. I'm doing my thing over there. I'm helping people out. I'm, Brahman says, okay, don't worry. I'll take care of it. And Brahman goes out into the woods in the hut. And he talks to Indra. And he says, hey, Indra, remember when you arrived here in the kingdom of the gods? Remember how I gave you that book about politics and the dynamics of life and where your role is as king? And Indra says, yes. He says, well, you know, you have a role to fill here. The kingdom needs a king to establish order, to keep things going, to help the people, to keep the flow of life going. Your wife is there as your queen. She balances out these energies. Well, everything has a reason for being, and you have a role to fill here. And you're not the greatest thing that ever was, and you're not so lowly that you should be living in a hut. And trying to, to drop out of your role is going to be as devastating as trying to be more than your role. Just be what you're supposed to be. Just live your pathway. And Andrew went back and let the architect go and said, the balance is good enough as it is. And we'll just live our lives again. This is a story about all of us. This is a story about what the way of mastery wants to tell us in the third lesson, where it will talk to us later on about how your life, your very life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the CEO of a major corporation, a billionaire, a pauper, a street sweeper, the average person in every class that you've ever attended, in terms of intelligence, you have a role to play. And life will teach you about your role to play if you will simply ask to be shown. If you will enter into humility, which in the ancient Aramaic means the ability to look for and see the highest and best in another person and recognize that that is the same as you and your highest and best and then choose to cooperate only with that. It's being in the flow of life. Back to the way of mastery, lesson three. The text goes on and says, when I walked upon your earth as a man, I began to realize that the greatest gift I could ever receive. This is such a powerful paragraph for me. I began to realize the greatest gift I could ever receive could only come to me when I choose to surrender every per-
perception that I might conjure up. The greatest gift life can offer you is life itself. And when you create a perception, in other words, any kind of an interpretation or judgment about life, you're stepping yourself away from being in the flow of life. You're stealing from yourself, in a way, the greatest gift that life has to offer. So I'm going to start that paragraph again since it is so powerful. And it's it's the, the threshold through which we can get into the understanding of what is the what is this chapter about? What is the power of forgiveness? What's the deep power of it? When I walked upon your earth as a man, I began to realize that the greatest gift I could ever receive would only come to me as I chose to surrender every perception that I might conjure up. And I might conjure it up about you my brother or sister. And when I conjure up a perception about you or life or anything else, perception hides the capital T truth. It hides the truth of life. It hides from me. It hides your truth and the truth that is true about you always, which is, you are the extension of love in form. You are the extension of the creative energy that some would call love, expressing in form. So that one paragraph leads into how forgiveness as a process is the dismantling of those perceptions. Why would I want to dismantle those perceptions? Because my perceptions Anything that's less than the direct, full-on experience of connectedness and joy and love hides from me and keeps me from receiving the greatest gift that is possible for me to receive. Oh, the tangled web I weave when first I practice to deceive. And oh, the tangled, tangled web I weave when first I practice to perceive, to judge, to interpret, rather than just move with the flow of life. The text goes on and reads, when I was nine years of age, I began to awaken to exactly what I'm describing to you here. As my father would take me to sit with the elders, and as he would read from the Torah to me, I began to be compelled by something within. Something began to speak to me. Something began to speak to me saying that underneath all of the perceptions I could create of another, there was something radiant and shimmering waiting to be discovered. Underneath my judgments and interpretations of life, the creative energy and flow of life was there, right there, waiting to be discovered. The text goes on and says, I began to feel very different from my peers. I began to be preoccupied with inner things. And when I listened to the elders speak, I would often feel as though I had drifted far away from where they were. 
pictures would come to me, thoughts would come to me, and feelings would come to me that I did not understand, that I had not assimilated into my being. And yet, something began to compel me. How might I discover how to see only that shimmering radiance? Would it be possible for me to see my brothers and sisters as my father, as the creator sees his children? I discovered that the way to see with the eyes of Christ begins with the the acceptance that I as a creator. Well, so... Does anybody listening to these words have any interest in seeing with the eyes of Christ? If so, the way to begin to see with the eyes of Christ is the acceptance that you, as a creator, literally choose every experience and call it to yourself. That you create the veils through which you view creation. You're the one obstructing yourself from seeing only the shimmering radiance. If you have any interest in what they're talking about here when they say birthing Christ or living with the Christ mind or seeing from the Christ mind, it begins with the recognition that the creative energy that flows through you and your mind is creating your experience of life, is creating everything as you experience it, and it hides from you the truth of life, the shimmering radiance, the true nature of yourself and your brothers and sisters. That paragraph without any interpretation through me reads, But something began to compel me. How might I discover how to see only the shimmering radiance? Would it be possible for me to see my brothers and sisters as my father sees his children? As I sat with that, I discovered that the way to see with the eyes of Christ begins with the acceptance that I, as a creator created in the image of the creator, I literally choose every experience and call it to me and that I create the veil through which I view creation. The text reads, I began to shift my perspective slightly and I began to be seen as someone who was rebelling against the teachings of my Essene leaders and elders. They saw me as rebelling because I began to move away from striving for God. I moved away from striving for perfection and I began to cultivate within myself the process of allowing. Wow, talk about blowing directly up in the face of all the Western teachings. If you want to begin to see with the eyes of the Christ mind, 
you have to stop striving. You have to stop working so hard. You have to not let seriousness enter the mind. You have to move into the empty-headed, not knowing this space and ask to be taught. You need to understand you don't know what anything is or is for. And yet, there is a purpose that can be discovered. You can make up your own, certainly, and then it will be the veil that hide from you the essence of creation expressing as yourself and everyone else. But you can also ask to be shown how you might be used by some wisdom, flow of life, love, creator, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, to be a blessing to yourself and others. And when you do that, get ready because you might also be seen as a rebel. You might also get some people's judgment forced against you because in this culture, we're supposed to be striving for, we're supposed to be working on this, we're supposed to be doing our work, etc. Striving for God, striving for perfection. And what Yeshua found was that it was more useful for him to cultivate a process of allowing. He says, the text goes on and reads, I discovered that if I looked upon my perception and my feelings and my behavior exactly as they were without overshadowing them with my own interpretations, if I could teach myself to embrace things with innocence, that's when the veils begin to be dissolved from my mind. So he found that judgment was contradictory to observation and allowance. That judgment, you, know, you can talk about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, begins to distort my experience of life. I discovered that if I looked upon my perceptions and my feelings and my behavior just exactly as they were, without overshadowing them with my own interpretations, if I could stay in allowance and surrender and trusting and embracing and embrace these things with innocence, the veils began to be dissolved from my mind. I didn't have to do anything else. I just had to stop doing what was blocking me from experiencing life and love and the flow of life as it truly is. The text goes on and says, for when I was nine years old, I had already learned to be fearful of thinking, speaking, or acting in a way that was not in conformity to the prevailing wisdom of that time, even within the Essene community, because the Essene community had become rather rigidified. And there was already much dogma, and dogma always leads to bickering. I began to discover that if I looked with innocence upon all things, a light began to shine through the things I was looking at. 
And as I rested more and more in this innocence, more and more of the light would shine through. As I grew in age, I discovered that the old teachers who spoke of the need to forgive 70 times 7, those old teachers knew something quite profound that had even become lost within the Jewish and Essene traditions of my day. What had gotten lost? The idea of dismantling perceptions. The understanding that I create my own perceptions. And when I do that, it's like throwing up a veil or a cover or a bushel basket to hide from myself the true nature of life in the moment. And in the next paragraph, he gives the definition of forgiveness. To forgive means to choose to release another, another person from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. It is therefore an act of forgiving or dismantling one's projections. As you begin to dismantle your projections, even 70 times, seven times, each time you do that process of dismantling or forgiving, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. Think about it. The more I peel back the layers of judgment, the more I step into allowance and surrender, the more I open myself to be taught, the more I can see the true nature, my true nature and the true nature of life around me. And to finish that paragraph, it says, the more you begin to go deeper into the purity of your own consciousness, and then you begin to see how profoundly you've been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships. Through the simple act of not being aware of the power of projection, the simple act of not being aware of the fact that your judgment, your assessment, your interpretation of life blocks you from seeing the truth of life. And it blocks you from seeing the truth of anyone that you're interacting with. Which takes us right back to the deep truth of Guy Finley, uh, Guy Finley, but Christian Moody in his work where he says so clearly in his teachings, most people have never had a relationship with another person. All they've had a relationship with is their thoughts about the other person, their interpretations, their beliefs, their judgments about the other person. Well, here I am, and I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I'm interacting with somebody, and they should respect me, and because I'm a psychologist, I should be really gentle with them. I shouldn't say any harsh truths. Or, and if I'm, if I'm going into a situation, an interaction with another person, and that's what I'm focusing on. Well, I'm the father, and my kids should respect me, and I'm not going to tolerate any disrespect in my own house. And if I go into that relationship or an interaction, I wouldn't even call it a relationship. If I go into an interaction with somebody else, and that's what I'm focused on, I'm not even seeing them for who they are. If I go to interact with my sons or daughters or, or my coworkers, and I think I know them, I'm already lost. Now I'm relating to my thoughts about them. I am not relating to them. 
and I can't learn who they are and or what is important to them and or I can't learn from them about myself and about life and about them. I will be left. As long as I stay stuck in the knowing, I will be left relating to my fantasies about life at the expense of understanding and growing and learning about life from life. So the process of forgiveness in this work as a dismantling of perception is the only viable way for me to be living in the question, to be open to being taught, to being a receptive, perpetually avid student. And that's what's being offered here. Came to me years ago, I was driving to a, a place where I was going to be teaching parenting skills with another woman. And we were going to be teaching um, I don't know, a group of 10 or 15 people who wanted to learn how to do parenting skills according to this one model. And she said, so what do you want them to get out of this? And I said, well, I heard myself saying, well, I, I think one of the biggest things is I would like them to understand that every time they teach a class, there's as much for them to learn from the class as the class can learn from them. And I said, if they want to get really, really good at being a teacher, they must learn to become a perpetually avid student. I heard myself say that, that, that phrase, a perpetually avid student, came out of me. And years later, I was reading in The Way of Mastery, and it says, a master has mastered the art of always being a student. So something was feeding me that, that observation, that wisdom, you might call it. And it just sent shivers down my spine years later when I read that in The Way of Mastery. If I think I know... I've already cut myself off from learning. When I walk into any situation, knowing what I know, knowing how I learned it and where I know it and why I know it's true, in that moment, there's no possibility for me to grow and learn. The only way for me to even be open to learning is to be in a state of direct observation, to be willing to catch judgment as it arises in my mind, as I know it will because it's been conditioned and trained into me ever since I had language introduced to me, to be able to watch for that judgment and constriction and tension within my system and just release it and move from the state of judgment into the state of allowance. This is the only way I know to be open to learning. It's the only way I know to move into mastery, which is, according to my definition and the way of mastery's definition, to be a perpetually avid student. You know, mastery is not I know everything. Mastery can only come from letting myself be taught by life in each moment. 
it is not the Western mind's definition of mastery, which is I'm right, you're wrong, it's subtle, I argue. So, not a single hand has gone up, even though we've got six or seven people on the call. Thank you all for being here. I am hopeful that you're all remembering that you're welcome to press one at any time and make a comment or raise a question, area code 610. Hi, Dr. Tim. That essay by Erica, did you say um, Vega? V as in Victor. V mm-hmm. as in Victor. E-G-A. Okay. Uh, can you put it in the notes or something? Gosh, that was unbelievably beautiful. Wonderful. Yes, she is quite the writer, and she has been living life and using tools for a lot of years. So I am going to be working on posting it on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website on the educational materials page with a couple of your letters I have there. Okay, great. And with luck, I'll get that done today or tomorrow. Mm, thanks. I I didn't listen less yesterday very long. I kept coming back in. I was able to get home before the show was over, but the sound was sounded as if you were in a tin can, and I wondered if it was pre-recorded even. I came in so late I wouldn't be able to find out. But anyway, it's no, much better today. No, but we technical difficulties. Yeah. It, yeah. It's I, I got jumped out a couple times. Just, oh, okay. It's much better today, but it's still sounding different than It before. is different. I'm on a cell phone. I'm I'm not in my office, which is the hard wire line and so, yes, it oh, is I a see. different quality sound. Oh, okay. Thanks. Well, as always, wonderful reading that we just could hear over and over, and it goes deeper and deeper. Well, I'm very glad you think so. I, uh, As I say, it's just striking me differently every time, and, um, mm. and as it works and comes together, it it feels like it's a blessing for me, so I hope it's blessing others mm. as well. I'm sure it is. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're down to our last few seconds, so I will mute you so you can meet you in the second hour. Okay. And I appreciate your comments here at the end. hope you have a wonderful weekend. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving and hope you have a good weekend coming up. (laughs) Same here and have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Friday, November the 24th, 2023. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We had good conversation yesterday. If you weren't with us, we uh, opened up with uh, gratitudes, and then we had a question in the chat room. Well, actually, Michael had received the question earlier, but... 
Hippia from Thailand was in the chat room, and the question was from her. And so we had some good discussion going on there. And we uh, shared what we were thankful for. So you can go back and listen to that show. It was ended up being a full hour. We had said if people didn't call in or ask questions that after we got finished, we were going to call it short. We were in the process of getting food and everything ready to go to family yesterday. We had an awesome time. and uh, But anyway, it ended up being a full show. So that was awesome. And so I'll give Michael a moment to get dialed in. I had physical therapy this morning, and and the place where I go is what's called the Pinnacle, and it's now this humongous shopping complex with restaurants and everything else. And so I knew that my daughter in love and her mom and some of their relatives that were in from the Philippines, they were all going to go for Black Friday shopping. And so I called them when I got out of physical therapy, and I said, you know, where are you, and I'll just come meet you because I'm already up here. And so they told me, and I went, well, it didn't take long for me to remember exactly why I don't do shopping on the day after Thanksgiving. It was it reminded me of lines at Disney World or something going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I said, we stood in line more than we did anything, and all I ended up getting was two rolls of wrapping paper. And I was like an hour and a half. It's like, okay, never mind. I'm going back home. I don't need this. <laughs> so anyway. Um, we are here at the house, going to work in the gardens. It's a beautiful day outside. And I see Michael has now joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. We are definitely blessed with this weather. It's just absolutely awesome. Although it's supposed to go down to the 20s and the early part of next week. So I guess we can't have it forever, but... and. Sadly, it's actually confusing to some of their trees. Yes, for sure. So many of the trees are budding and flowering. And although yesterday I harvested about, what would you say that was, six pounds of cherry tomatoes out of our little greenhouse? So, feeling blessed by that warm weather and concern for the planet in that it's... Uh, Certainly unseasonably warm. In any event, if you weren't with us yesterday, a belated, pardon me, happy Thanksgiving. Hope that your holy day was holy yesterday, that you remembered that it's really about tapping into your wholeness. It's not about destroying wholeness with alcohol and insanity. And... We are here to, of course, enhance our own understanding, enhance this process by interaction with you. The gifts you bring are deeply appreciated. The questions, the questioning, the skepticism, the, you know, I don't know about this kind of questions. Perfect. Gives us a chance to look and review. Gives us a chance to get our bloatingness, bloated nothingness out of the way and hear the answers to your questions because there is a power in each and every one of us that holds the answer to every question you could ever ask. And if you're, and I forget who it was that used that term, bloated nothingness, 
if your bloated nothingness is in the way, then you never get to hear an answer direct from the source, so all kinds of crazy things happen. But when we can breathe, be out of our minds and listen, then that subtle energy of the higher faculties comes in and we get to play in the actual world. So that's what we're here to do. That's what we're moving in the direction of. And we're delighted you're here to be part of the conversation. So, Machine, do we have any questions in the chat room? Anything from the app? Anything happening in the phone queue? Uh, I was actually over there looking up. Uh, no, no on all those fronts. <laughs> um, I'll have checked my email real quick. I'd have it checked it this morning because I had to go out early. But uh, that was uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson that gave that quote. Okay. Cool. Good catch. Thank you. Yeah. So if you want to share your blessings or your gratitude or ask a question, press one. And come and play. Be part of the Susan process. Susan just out there in the quiet corner. Awesome. Let's say Six hello. One. <laughs> This is a serious and a not serious question because I know it's one of those non-being mind figuring it out questions. But Tim and I went to a diner yesterday and my sister turned out to have a bug and was not able to come and we got into this discussion about what you had said, Michael, about Jesus doing his generational processing in the Garden of Gethsemane and how he was really ready on the cross. And I said to Tim, you know, the one thing I wonder about this is if Mary's conception was immaculate, and who knows what that egg was, maybe he didn't have generational. <laughs> you can see where I'm going with this. You, I would just like to know what you do with that question if he didn't have generational trauma because he was an immaculate conception or whether you don't believe that, and who knows anyway, but comments are welcome. Michael, I hear you talking, but you're muted. One of the things that the ancient scriptures proclaim is that everything is a metaphor. And I think, you know, I don't need to know or believe in an immaculate conception to know that I can function without the interference from carbon-based memory and past issues, unresolved dynamics, to live in the world. I can conceive free of all generational, if I do my work, all generation, generational patterns of hostility and fear, grief, rage, sadness, trauma, and what have you. I won't continue that list because I know you already know it. And so <laughs> if I've done my work, then I get to, that which was modeled, I get to, to live in the Immaculate Conception where my, my awareness of life and my functioning is not tarnished by past unresolved dynamics. So I think there's a higher meaning for that than do I have to determine was it miraculous, do I have to believe that some kind of a spirit being. To me, what's more important is, do I 
understand what Yeshua came to do? Do I have an awareness of what is his actual words meant? And have I followed the instructions? You know, there's a point where he says, well, you know, there, you, you guys are going to come to me and you're going to come calling my name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm going to say, I didn't know you because you haven't done what I said to do. In other words, I'm not going to be in resonance with where you're at because you're living in a different reality structure than I've invited you to live in. And you've refused to, you know, you say you want it, but, but how many actually do it? So to me, it's the teachings. I was actually listening to this morning. I was out and doing some errands, collecting some, some uh, sticks for our, uh, our compost pile and uh, on my way back from my errands. And uh, I was listening to a, a video of a fellow who's supposedly a Bible scholar. And uh, he's talking about the seven worst translations of the Bible. And he, he I, I'm sure, doesn't believe that he has any bias whatsoever. But he's talking about, you know, <clears throat> one of the... Uh, categories that he puts his these the different translations in are those of um, sectarian you know where somebody's got a, a particular theological axe to grind and therefore their translations are bent and then he's got another one I forget what word he used but basically cuckoo stuff is just crazy and as he's speaking, and he's talking about this translation and that translation, well, this translation doesn't believe this, and that translation doesn't believe that, and that one doesn't support this, and that one doesn't support that. It's like, oh, so you're looking for those things which agree with you. <laughs> and, you know, for me, it's like what we're looking to do is to present people the tools which, which they can, with which, pardon me, they can achieve what was called the first law, that is, having the condition of Arachma in their minds, and then having direct access to the meaning behind the meaning, because they're not conceiving from their old, unresolved, you know, dogma, training, pain, or trauma. So to me, it's all about, have you got the tools? Have you used the tools? Rather than I'm, the, thing, the thing that's going to quote-unquote save me is stuff, I believe this or I believe that or I believe this or I believe that. I don't think there's anything to believe. I think it's a set of tools, and then you'll be taught directly by the power that he said, I come to connect you with this power that's inside of you. So how does that fit with your conversation with Tim yesterday? <laughs> ah, I wish you'd been at the table. You're not mad, are you? Me? Yeah. Are you talking to me? Mad? Mad at, mad, mad at me for asking? <laughs> oh, not in the least. No. I I love your questioning mind, and I love every question you bring. No, there's no mad at me about it. No, I think it's a great okay. question. None whatsoever. I'm absolutely delighted that you're that you continue. I mean, let's face it, Susan, you're one of the mainstays of this show because you're searching and you want to know and you're going to go for it. And everything that comes up, you're ready to put out on the table. And so I'm in yeah. total, complete delight with every question you ask and every one you've ever asked. There is no oh. question you could ask me that 
Well, I guess it could be a question that might bring up my anger. And if it does, I promise I'll be responsible and forgive as to my anger. I promise. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. Good. I I get nervous sometimes. I had a poetry teacher, Muriel Rukeyser, a wonderful poet, years ago at college. And she once said that I was I was glib. And sometimes I do get silly. And so anyway, I've never forgotten what she said. And I, I wondered if you were having the same response. Anyway, thanks. None whatsoever. No, I'm... I am truly delighted with every question you've ever asked. Oh, well, that's nice. Even if you've asked it more than once, which, you know, we've had those discussions a time or two. No. I know. Delighted. They go in and I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Well, I appreciate you for your quiz. Yeah. Me too. Well, the business the business of starting the forgiveness process with remembering and then clearing one's own perceptions, which are probably 98% in, it doesn't matter what, how, how much in error. The fact is they're open to questions. That seems like one of the most amazing things to do and a huge corrective if we have the time. I mean... Is it you who said, well, if you've got a lion running at you, you don't stop and think and ask what the right thing to do is and don't listen to the Holy Spirit. You get the heck out of the way. But most of the time we have time to consider that we might be wrong in error or whatever. And then then we get curious and observing and all the good things that lead to something much healthier. But that has been probably the biggest life-changing thing. Uh, and that is, that's the, like doing a, a short worksheet in the head. I know you like people to write them down, and I agree. But in those moments when you don't have much time and you can just say, you know, where am I in all this? Where's my e- What's my ego doing in all this? Right, and 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 asking the question, what's the goal? I hold that this situation yeah. is mm-hmm. resonating or linking into mm-hmm. some form of unresolved hostility or fear in me, and do I want to clean it up? You know, I think one of the yeah. big ideas to get from the tools is that everything based in hostility or fear is corrupt data. Yep. And then from there, the leap to, well, maybe I need to forgive. Maybe I need to address this corrupt data, remove it from my structure so I can conceive of this situation immaculately. Mm -hmm. I can actually receive this information without it being interrupted and interfered with some of my own corrupt data. You even use the word, wow, good. Put it right to use. That's good. Opportunities. You know, it's like <laughs> even with people who aren't involved, I, I had the opportunity a couple of times yesterday with our family gathering, people who, you know, don't really know anything about what I do, but they're talking about how life is, you know, closing in. It's like, oh, you mean life is giving you opportunities to learn forgiveness? Kind of look at me like, well, I guess you could say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, you know, 
maybe that's the design of life, to show us what we're holding on to and give us the opportunity one more time, one more time, one more time, one more time, and then one more time again to process through whatever it is that is holding us back from truth. So I take it right this moment you're probably conceiving of something immaculately <laughs> and My mind looking is going at what your next yep. thought. Well, tell us about it. Tell us about it. It's not good because it's a political discussion. Uh, well, go for it. Well, I listened to a Britisher, and I don't know what his name is. I saved the, the clip. Uh, it was a short video on, it was a, a British man's view of what's happening in the United States. Right. Clear, I, I stuck the link up on Facebook. I should look it up and find out his name, but I'm not doing that right now. One thing he said was way back when the New Deal came through or some of the greatest legislations that have helped us be a healthy society, and I know there's a lot that right. isn't. He said those were all the the products of a unified Congress, the House. They were issues that were regarded as bipartisan, and Democrats and Republicans worked together. And you need a huge majority to get those big things through. And he said, now we just haven't got a prayer. It looks like uh, haven't we don't have that right now. We have such division that we're just spinning wheels and going deeper into the mud. I'm rewording some of his things. And so that right. was another trigger. So that took some work um, because the, the fear of being it being hopeless and we really, we're losing it. We're losing it. And even no matter who wins the election, we've already kind of destroyed ourselves. All of that's going through my mind and I'm thinking, all right, what you just said about you know, if I have anything in the way of a trigger going on, I'm in error. Well, I hope that's true in this case. No, but the, the, that isn't exactly a question. It's just, yeah, speak. I can hear you. Well, you my observation, inhale, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> my observation there is there's a statement in the in the ancient scriptures that basically translates out as, it uses the word believe, but I think it's more living in relationship to those who believe in, and because the word God is so loaded, let's drop that and use one of the other scriptural words that uh, that is used in place of the word God, and that is love. To those who believe or are living in connected to active present love, all things work together for good. So if I'm linked to some form of hostility or fear, then I'm going to find a way to, you know, get myself into difficulty, injury, illness, conflict, what have you. But if I keep my mind linked with love, which is the controlling force of the universe, if that's where I live, then everything is going to support 
and bring wholeness to me. And That's I can a think wonderful of, thing to remember. It, it's profound. And I can think of at least four or five times when I've had what the world would call an accident that could have been pretty severe, and mm-hmm. it's turned out to be healing. I think about one time, we were at Heartland in December, and uh, the office building called Grace. I was going down, cu- coming down the wooden steps and didn't realize there was ice on them, and I was at about the third step. And Ooh. my feet, and it's a fairly steep s- stairwell, stairway, my feet mm-hmm. went totally, completely out from under me. Mm-hmm. I flipped up in the air and came down on my back, mm-hmm. on the steps. Now, I should have broken something. I mean, it's just like, it was a really significant fall. And I got up, and, I, and my back cracked a couple times, like I'd just been to the chiropractor. And I stepped away and was just, you know, perfectly fine. Another time I was in a, a truck with someone who was showing me a piece of property they were looking at near Heartland, and I always wear a seatbelt when I get in the car, but he had replacement seats that didn't have seat belts. I thought twice about whether I should go with him, and we're out in this field, and he hits a pothole or a, a gopher hole, and literally the truck stops in an instant. I go flying. He's got roll bars, and my head hits, and I've been having trouble with my neck. My head hit the roll bars, and I hear this crunch, 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 again, like I'd been to the chiropractor, and, and the pain in my neck disappeared. You know, I think if we stay aligned that literally that field, you know, again, if you listen to what they say, if you're in harmony with the creator, with love, you're protected. Nothing can come into your field that can bring harm. If you fall out of harmony with love, then you'll find harm coming, and it'll be your opportunity to either blame whatever the circumstance is or come back into your own mind and go, what's out of harmony within me? What do I need mm-hmm. to deal with? And I think the more and more we're aligned, the less and less we have, you know, things come up and bite us in the butt. Mm. Not that I haven't had my you know, share of and still to get my share of bites in the butt, but I found some really powerful places where I really felt in, in touch and in harmony and things that should have been a disaster turned out to be a blessing, mm-hmm. turned out to be healing. And the, that I suppose we can keep that point of view no matter how long we wait for the 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 goodness of some horrific thing. Like a a friend of mine, not a close friend, someone I knew, Tim and I would run into her on our walks, friendliest woman. Uh, Tim used to say, I think she's an angel. He used to say that to me. Mm. Uh, She's just so loving and and upbeat. And she had this scratchy voice because she had chain smoked all her life. Terribly scratchy voice. Tim, Susan, how are you? And she was in her early 60s, beautiful, lively woman who loved dogs and would give anything extra to this rescue for greyhound dogs. Well, I didn't see her for a while, and there's her husband sitting out on a stoop smoking a cigarette. And I say, Terry, how's Diane? And he said, 
didn't you know she died? And I said, what? What happened? We were at a wedding, and she ate a piece of steak and choked to death. And I'm waiting for the the ark. Meanwhile, this is an aside, and this just blows my mind. I said, we saw him, you know, a few days ago again. I said, Terry, how are you doing Thanksgiving? I'm cooking myself a steak, he said. My first thought was, you want to follow her, don't you? I mean, you know, Mm. he choked to death on a piece of steak. What's he doing cooking a steak? And I said, Terry, you're cooking a steak? And he said, yep. So who knows? All I'm saying is it's not readily obvious, maybe not for a long time, what the ark is. I mean, I often think that young people die young because they are angels, and they've just put in their time, and they're taken out to do good things otherwhere. We can't always know. And so... So I, I just say, well, I'm going to look for the silver lining with this one, uh, and we'll see. Well, I think it was either Martin Luther King or Gandhi that said, the arc of justice takes time, but yes, it always bends toward justice. You know? and, it might have been both, but I know Martin Luther King said it. Yeah. 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 He, he did say that. And so, and I think that oftentimes awareness of the bigger picture isn't available because we're stuck in or locked in limited perception. Right. You know, things, you know, what the, what the actuality is, what the pattern is, is invisible if your nose is in it. But when you step back from it, you start to see Mm -hmm. and you're able to live from and interact with a much, much bigger picture. Yeah. Well, if there isn't somebody else on the line... And I think we're bent to line, live in the bigger picture. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to do that, right? Uh, I have another story, but I didn't want to hog the line if Gene Go for it. somebody else. I don't have to. Truly, Michael, ever look. I don't want to just be on yammering away because I can always talk about something. There are no other hands up. You got the floor. <laughs> Six or seven years ago, I flipped on black ice, and I didn't do as well as you did. I broke my left wrist. And I remember, I remember you saying, that. I remember you saying there was something about the fact that I had arranged that somehow, or I was responsible, or something. I don't remember exactly, but I remember thinking. I'm leaving the show. That stinks. But I knew you were right. I just didn't want to hear that right then. But years later, you know, my wrist healed. They put a plate in. It was great. And then I started snapping tendons. One tendon broke, and I raced myself to the doctor because I lost the use of my left index finger. Just the end, it was like a floppy little appendage that was useless. I couldn't play the Mm -hmm. piano. And I went to him, and he built me this little splint that would keep the finger bent. And that was clumsy and too thick, and I couldn't get my fingers between the black notes and all that. I went back to him, and I said, you, I can feel the tendons. They're under threat. Take out that plate, please. And can you do something with that finger so that it has 
uh, I can play the piano, even though it would have to be right. thrown into a into a bent position. He did that. He actually, I could show you a grisly Frankenstein photograph of what he did to that finger. And right. permanently, slightly bent. It doesn't look really any different. But the fact is it's not floppy anymore. And I can play the piano. And you know what's come up is I, I wanted an excuse to not have to practice the piano I was playing the piano for years. I was good at it. So my thought was, you better keep doing this because you have a gift. Well, that isn't true. You don't have to do something just because you have a gift. I didn't like practicing. I finally have a really good excuse not to practice. Why couldn't I have found (laughs) that on my own? I had to break my wrist and then my finger have a compromised hand I can play enough to play my own pieces uh, chancel operas uh, if they're not these massive like Franz Liszt etudes and things that are so hard I can't do those anymore and the feeling I have is thank God I don't have to do that anymore I didn't do any work what you had said way back then if I put it to use I would have understood back then and given up the piano like that at that level anyway. And maybe this wouldn't have happened. Who knows? You can't do that kind of back-guessing. But the arc of that was a big, long arc, seven, eight years between breaking my wrist and finally getting a, a decent excuse to quit the piano, which only means I hadn't done my work on it anyway, because I could have left it any time. Choice. I know that was a bit convoluted. Me, no, not not at all. Just my thought being that the the benefit of not living in perception is that we get to see and hear to be shown what otherwise is invisible. But when perception comes in, then we're stuck in that. Energetic pattern that perhaps has nothing to do with the moment. It's just what's been resonated by the moment. Okay. You go back all the way back into the ancient, ancient part of the scriptures, and they talk about how, you know, nothing will succeed against you if if you're in harmony. If you know, I, I just looked it up, and the um, the language of it is kind of antiquated. But when you bring it into modern language in the world, it says so. The the protection aspect of it. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now, if you translate that into, so the creator is love, if we are linked to recognizing who we are as love and living in love, then what does it say? No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. That's the promise. If you're in harmony, basically the creator is saying, hey, if you play with me, if you play in love, this is what I'll do for you. I got it handled. Mm. 
Other places it talks about he will guard you from the evil one. What's the evil one? The energetic patterns that are off the mark. Well, he had a hard Always time getting present. through on this one. <laughs> well, you know, who knows? You know, who knows how long that one's been going on in your family bloodline? And you've come up with a clear answer that's moved you to a new space of love and connectedness. Who have now, played the piano out of guilt because I thought somebody would love me if I played well. A whole lifetime mm-hmm. doing that. Holy mackerel. Yeah. And, My grandson, you know, what I get, what? I, I've never uh, heard you speak of, or if you've ever done the purpose exercise, we did it at Heartland years ago, uh, I've never yeah. heard you clearly speak about what your purpose is, but it sounds like with that music, you even so were being guided to and expressed your purpose. You know, when I watch how quickly you picked up and started to support group with teaching people about the healing process. Now, to me, that's clearly your purpose, and that seems to be something that you've done, uh, you know, most of your life and, and carried out with your music. So it seems like, you know, a pretty sweet space to be in. In a lot of ways, yes. It could be cleaned up around the edges a bit, but I do notice with the boys, your grandsons. I have my Charlie right. who has OCD. He wants to become a physician. Here his dad has been a doctor and struggled with it, with lots of anxiety because he has too much, too much um, invested in the outcomes of the people he's trying to heal or fix operations. If a patient isn't doing well, he loses sleep. Whereas my daughter's new husband, who's also a uh, a doctor, no matter how awful the cases are, he can leave them there with all good wishes and intents, but he can live his life. Here's my son who's been carrying anxiety to the point where he can't even always be there for his son, and his son wants to be a doctor, and I'm, I don't know how to, I just keep saying, just Rest in the idea that something that you love is going to present itself. And whether it's medicine or not, it'll be the right thing. But, and so, yes, that is. And I think about how that is my purpose. But there's no, there's no, there has been no, it doesn't count. It's counting now. But the only thing that counted all through my life was if I practiced enough to give a good concert, get a good review. Proved everybody right. that I was lovable. That was the thing, mm-hmm. and nothing else counted. And to to have these other purposes show up and have them be so ongoing and and rewarding and still not quite count. Those are the worksheets that need to be done. Why doesn't it count? Yeah. So thanks for letting it's me go on process. and on. I appreciate but it. What I yeah, what I hear you saying when you're talking about. Um, your daughter's husband, uh, 
and your yeah. son, it, what I hear is that your daughter's husband is likely working from his true purpose. Oh, I what think... What I hear perhaps happening with your son is that he's working through issues, mm-hmm. through the work that he's doing, and maybe not in alignment with his purpose. Absolutely, that's a great way to put it. I can see that. And I've, I've been trying to get him into a kind of therapy that he has a wonderful therapist, but the therapist doesn't address things the way you guys do. I've been wanting to have a session with Dr. Tim because Tim does see patients on a regular basis. And my son right. keeps saying, I'll call him, I'm going to call him, but I haven't had time. And it's just not happening yet. And how much hounding can a mother do, you know? Well, maybe mom could make an do an invitation, print off the purpose worksheet, mm-hmm. and just offer to him. You know, I I have a thought that maybe some of what you're doing and the reason you're in anxiety is maybe you're not doing your purpose. Mm. And invite him to, to do the three steps in the worksheet, and then you know, do that final statement and see how that does that actually fit. Is he on purpose? And that might be a vehicle for him to open to some other possibilities. Mm, that's a nice idea. Yeah, I have that sheet. I remember doing that sheet. And I remember coming up with the purpose of the work we're doing with other people. That seemed like a real purpose, but there was no zing in it, the way there was zing in the piano thing. So there's just unfinished right. business there. Anyway, thank you for talking. So who knows what he might discover, and it might uh, it might alleviate him of uh, of some of that stress if he's rather than trying to therapy himself through his work, if he's doing his mm. work because that's his job and or it's aligned with his purpose, and you know that he can give his highest and best, and and then like your uh, son-in-law can let it go. Yeah. And, you know, maybe your son is following the path you followed as he's doing this because this is what's going to get him approval, this is what's going to get him love, rather than God, doing it so because true. he's tied in with his purpose. Yeah. You know, he may be that's trying so to resolve the uh, the dynamic that you've been resolving. Ooh. And you can speak to that from the point of experience with the piano and maybe even quiz him, you know. Gee, is there any part of you that you're doing this because this is how you get acceptance, approval? Oh, and say maybe yes right away. then mm. that might open him to another level of, so what if you were to shift and really tap into what your real purpose is and start to make choices about your life that are on purpose? I mean, it doesn't mean he's, he has to leave medicine might be right there yeah. in medicine, but he might yeah. come with a different mind than the mind yeah. he's coming with now. God, that's so good. Yeah. So holding the space. Thanks. You know, the uh, the dedication you've got to bring healing to each of the family members that you've done, you know, from Luke to... Jacob, that's pretty awesome. You know, they had their family reunion over Thanksgiving, and 
I've gotten nothing but wonderful reports. Luke came home, and Jacob has been gunning for Luke, remembering him as an abusive, right. mean older brother who got all the, all the, he got all the, Jacob got all the punishment, and Luke didn't get any. Luke goes home, and Jacob starts talking about something, and Luke says, Jake, I mean, yeah, he says, Jake, you know, you did such a beautiful job on that. And, of course, Jacob is like this dry sponge. And Jacob's just puffing up and sitting up straight and listening. Luke was nothing but love for him. And Luke himself, we went on a Zoom. I, I would recognize him, but he is slender and his face is all clear. And his mother says he's like a miracle boy. He's just so loving and so wise. And now he says, Michael, here's your thing again. He says, being an alcoholic like that, being so sick on the verge of homelessness was a great gift because now look what I have and what I've learned. I wouldn't have learned it any other way. Meanwhile, Jacob's behaving wonderfully. Jacob's been gentle and nice. and uh, Sweet. Anyway. It is. Well, you know, as, as the Course says, when I'm healed, I'm never healed alone. So mm-hmm. I, I uh, congratulate you and acknowledge you for the sweet space you've created for all those young men. With help, but yes, it's been part of it for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. So joining you in holding the space for the next layer and the next level for each of them, mm. especially for Charlie, that he yeah, can let loose of that uh, OCD and turn it into OB- OCB. <laughs> What's that? That as he does his work, the same energies that are called the disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, can become the obsessive compulsive blessing that he uh, just goes for the blessing every time oh, because he's able to collapse that mind based in fear mm. yeah and if he's going to be a doctor he's going to have to get things done so obsessive mm-hmm. compulsive blessing that he's coming from a space of love when he's driven to that can really mm-hmm. be a thing that gets it done. Yeah. And and as a doctor, there's certainly lots to do if he's going to go into a practice with working with people. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But coming to resolution within himself as to who he is as love is going to be one of the things that will uplift him in that or whatever he chooses to do. So holding the space with you. Thanks. Sweet. Any other thoughts for today? Oh, sure. (laughs) Go for it. I was thinking about the miracle. This is going to seem very funny. My daughter's new husband has three children. One is uh, neuro, um, 
normal, neural, and he's not autistic is what I'm trying to say. Um, typical neural, whatever, there's a word. He is normal, mm-hmm. but he's gay. His second, mm-hmm. his second child Neurodivergent, son, I think they're calling it. Neurodivergent is when you're autistic. Yeah. yeah. He, he is yeah. not neurodivergent, but he is. He, oh, he brought okay. a partner home. He brought a friend home, and we met him, delightful young man. The second child, born autistic, very, very autistic boy. Um, the father learned all about autism and is a wonderful father for that boy. And the boy is now a girl. I mean, this is wild. His third child is a daughter who is gay and has ADHD but not autism. Here's a father with three kids who are unusual, and he's wonderful with them. And here's Jacob. He waltzes into this new blended family, and Jacob is saying, I think I have a father. And what he's saying is he gets me. He knows how to he knows how to do me. Talk about the goodness of God. Whoa. Hmm. Sounds like a, a wondrous gentleman who knows how to be the space. I he mean does. to handle those things and come forward the way he does into the world. That's that's pretty profound. My daughter thinks she wouldn't have noticed him in high school when he had a crush on her. But when he learned that she was getting a divorce, he got in touch with her right away because his marriage had broken up a year or two previous. And right. they, they just, they never stopped seeing each other. They just, she just adored him and he, her, and it's a, it's a very happy situation. So things That's awesome. happen. You could... You could never imagine those things happening by arrangement. You can't make it up, and you can't even dream to ask for it. Right. So here's Jacob hanging out with these neurodivergent kids and getting along great. So I think I've stopped reporting. You can go to other things. Thank you so much for all that airtime. Honored and delighted, young lady. I hope your holy days are blessed as this holy day season opens and bring you into deeper and deeper and deeper states of wholeness and well-being and the way you touch the world's awesome. Thank you, Michael. All right, take care. Give Tim a hug for us. You too. I will. All right. Well, Miss Jeannie, it looks like we've got about 13 or so minutes left, so we've got time for another good conversation. Do you have anybody out there in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it's quiet on both both fronts. So if somebody asks a question, press 1, make a comment, tell us what you're grateful for, share your Thanksgiving experience. A hand just went up, and I believe it's Mr. Terry, 336, you're on the air. Hey, guys. Hey, welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. Good to hear your voice. Yes, good to hear you guys. It's good to talk and listen to the previous uh, person on the show there. I was thinking, oh, yeah. uh, Do you ever do a primary purpose workshops, like a Zoom workshop with the primary purposes of focus? 
Well, we actually have a workshop that we have both on uh, audio. I think we've got it on audio tape, a four-hour version and two-hour version of Purpose, Personal Power, and Commitment. Have you never attended that workshop? I have. Here's what I'm finding, though. There's a big difference in a recorded workshop, that kind of thing, as opposed to a one that actually has interaction with Alive. other folks, especially with you. You you bring a, a whole another dynamic into the thing. And so um, what uh, what a lot of the folks are doing, they're doing these little workshops, and they're, they're in a Zoom class, but then they're recorded so that you can go back and review and listen, and there's a way to participate there. Right. So, uh, that's what I was wondering. If you had anything like that, maybe in the works or about. You know, we've we've talked about doing a uh, an online. Why is this happening to me again? Kind of similar to the codependence intensive, doing that intensive, mm-hmm. and the purpose um, worksheet is part of that workshop. So if we do a, you know, if we had enough interest expressed from people who want to do an online Zoom. Why is this happening to me again, or why is this happening to me again in teacher training? Then we would be happy to set that up. And so, if anybody's listening is interested, let Jeannie know. Drop Jeannie a note at j e a n i e at w h y again dot org. Jeannie at y again dot org, and let her know. But you can put me on that list. Okay, you're on the list. Okay. I think it'd be really cool to participate in a. And that's that format, that setting. Cool. How was your Thanksgiving? Did you do anything special? Uh, we did the traditional stuff. Kima started cooking Tuesday morning. <laughs> you <know>? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So you were blessed with food. Yeah. Oh, throttle, all these different beautiful dishes. It was a little special. She made a couple of different dishes that were just delicious with the with the real cranberries, you know. And um, one of them was uh, had the cranberry and orange uh, mix, and uh, that right. was just delightful. Then she makes this cranberry bread. Those were my favorites. And, uh, <laughs> She had a daughter, Audrey, the granddaughter, 
and then now she announced she was pregnant at the gathering. So that's great great grandparent material. Cool. Wow. Yeah. That's taking to a whole new level. It is. That's a new experience. I didn't realize you were that much older than me. I know. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's wonderful. Sweet. How's Ian doing? He's doing very well. He went over uh, to visit uh, his mom and all the siblings, and uh, he's just uh, doing well, living a life, having fun. And his baby? Ezra. I don't remember if it's a baby girl or a baby boy. His name is Ezra, boy, yeah. He's just just top shelf. Nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Fabulous. Well, extending blessings for the holiday season in your direction. Go ahead. I was saying that's very synchronistic. I was just thinking about... the primary purpose worksheet and the thing and all. And then, uh, then this lady comes on, starts talking about it, and I said, "Well, here we go." That was uh, <laughs> her and her grandson and me and two or three others. Next thing you know, you got a full class. There you go. Well, we'll put it out there and see what develops. And they do. Uh, as I'm really learning about all this Zoom stuff. Um, I was doing a meeting with another uh, classmate, and he uses uh, Google Meets. And they have a similar thing, Zoom, but it's called Google Meet or Google Meets. And uh, it's free for a limited number of minutes and stuff, whereas uh, Zoom puts a 40-minute limitation on it. And, right, uh, on their free one. Yeah. And um, that one seems to be unlimited, and it uh, has a really nice way that it Connects with your calendar for reminders. Send out invites. Really, I just learned all that this week. So, I'm sharing it with you. Huh, cool. Awesome. Yep. Well, anything um, else clean, happening, exciting in your world? I'm just cleaning up the shop today. Just on my own here, and everybody else is out doing their thing, and it's nice and quiet. Real quiet. Mm. Cool. Sweet. Well, is there anything else on top of your mind happening today in terms of your process? I know you, uh, you, uh, went through some big stuff last week. Yes. This is beautiful. It's all connected and it's uh, so important to lay down a foundation of whatever kind of work you're going to do. Personal development-wise and healing. Make sure you build a strong foundation. I don't think you can build a strong enough foundation. You, know, not one, you can't build one that's too strong. You can build one strong enough, but you can't build one too strong. And uh, I was impressing right. that on a couple of the guys that I'm working with, you know. And I said, you know, guys, do the work. Lots and lots of work. Lots and lots of inventories. Just uh, do something. <laughs> yeah. Keep it going. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll look forward to the next time we get face to face. 
Okay, that sounds great. All right, lots of love, Terry. Appreciate you. You too. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. Check your text, by the way. All right, Miss Jeannie, we've got about five minutes, three minutes. So do we have anybody out there with a hand up in the phone queue or? No. Anybody from the chat room? Well, anything on your mind? No. <laughs> I'm down to our last few minutes. Well, my thought is, that seeing as how we are down to just the last couple of minutes, it's been a while since I have shared the commitment with our audience. And so I'm thinking that maybe we close the show out with a commitment today. And for those who are not familiar with the uh, writing called My Commitment, it's a tool that we teach in our Healing Through Relationships workshop, and one of the things we have is we have what we call a personal code evaluation that people do to evaluate uh, where there are blocks in the mind and what arenas or what areas of life are blocked. So it covers, you know, there were scales on the evaluation for about 10 different arena or for 10 different arenas, 10 different areas, you know, stress management, honor of others, honor of self, honor of truth, freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, honoring laws of living, um, nutrition, digestion, toxicity, use of will. So there are several different areas and the personal code that each of us has, what our minds make us do in any given circumstance in response to any given stresses is generally set in the mind via words. And so in our Healing Through Relationships workshop, we offer this commitment that, you know, it's basically taken me about 40 years to write. It's been edited and changed several times, still being, and it may be changed tomorrow. Maybe it'll change out of today's, but I'd just like to share it with you, and this is my commitment to you. I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth, to be true to you, and always engage in just and fair behavior with you. I commit to always be sweetness in your life, to nurture you daily and treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect in my thoughts, my words, and my actions, whether in your presence or not. In every interaction, I commit to affection for you, to look for and acknowledge the highest and best in you, And as I surrender to love, our true nature, I will use only voice tones that reflect my deep caring for you. My connection to love, our source, gratitude for my relationship with you, and our serenity will always be more important than any issue. I open my being to embrace you in my love. I open my being to be embraced in your love. If anything unlike love comes up, inside of me, I will hold us in my heart and listen as I learn to speak, experience, and be responsible for my own realities. Apply forgiving to those painful ones. I'm here for and with you. I promise to speak only truth to you as I keep communication open and keep love conscious 
active and present as we heal, celebrate life, and grow together. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share with you today. I hope you're getting ready for the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. It's a gift you can give. It's certainly a gift the world needs. Blessings. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.